Now, would you turn with me, please, to that portion of God's Word that we read? The book of Revelation and chapter 7. Revelation and chapter 7. And we read again those words that we have at the end of the chapter, verses 16 and 17. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun lighten them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. When we arrive at Revelation chapter 7, it acts as uh, an in-between the opening of the seals. And it is part of the opening of the sixth seal that we have in the book of Revelation. And you're conscious of your reading of Revelation that a number of seals are, are opened. And here uh, in chapter 7, this is midway between uh, the sixth seal, part of the sixth seal, and the seventh seal. And when we come here to this chapter, and particularly the, the end of the chapter, we have a contrast. Because what we have here towards the end of the chapter is now something no longer upon the earth, but now we have a sight into heaven itself. And of course, you will know from the book of Revelation that very often that is exactly what happens. We, we see much of the, the account in Revelation uh, as taking place in heaven itself. Well, the contrast here in verses 16 and 17 is what the saints in heaven will be doing. Uh, the blessedness of the saints in heaven. Now that contrasts uh, dramatically with what we have in chapter 6 of Revelation. And there in chapter 6 of, of Revelation and, and verse 15, we are told what happens upon the earth when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and those who are outside of Christ. Verse 15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains. And so they pray that they would be consumed, lest they would see the face of Jesus Christ the one who was returning as their judge. Now, I'm sure you will have noticed as we read here, there was this, this very famous verse uh, has come before us in, in verse 4, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all of the tribes of the children of Israel. 
And of course, they, there are those, and they say that the 144,000 is, is an exact number of people. And outside of that 144,000, that literal 144,000, there is no salvation. If you have a desire, and of course as the believers uh, in Christ, you will have this desire, to have a key to understanding the book of Revelation. And we, we considered something from a book this morning that has many interpretations uh, of it. And the other book that has many interpretations is the book of Revelation. If you want a key to understanding the book of Revelation, you have the key in the opening verse of the opening chapter. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, notice that word there, signified. The word signified, when you break it down, is signified. It is a book of signs. And this is exactly what we have here in verse 4. The number of 144,000, it is a sign. In other words, it is a great number, but it is a very definite number. A great number, but a definite number. And that is, those who are in heaven are a great number, but they are a definite number. In other words, they are there by election and by grace. Now, this 144,000, we, we have uh, the reference here made at the very end of verse 4. Of all of the tribes of the children of Israel. 144, of course, is, it's a multiple of 12 and 12. You have the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the 12 apostles. There, together, the Old Testament and the New Testament, making up the church of Jesus Christ. <coughs> well, this is the picture that we have now in heaven. And I want us to consider, as the Lord uh, would enable us this evening, uh, three things that uh, are brought before us of heaven and that blessedness that awaits for the people of God. First of all, I want us to consider the perfect provision. The perfect a provision. And then in the second place, the provider that is portrayed. The perfect provision, the provider that is portrayed, and then thirdly, the procedure of the providing. So the perfect provision, the provider portrayed, and the procedure of the providing. First of all, the perfect provision. We see that in verse 16. In heaven, those who are gathered there shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. 
neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. You see the picture that is given us now of those who are in heaven, those who are the redeemed who have been gathered in. And friends, don't we need, as I was reminded even before uh, we came into this place this evening, how we need encouragement in these days. We are indeed living in difficult days. We are living in dark days. We are living in days when, when the church is under assault and under persecution. When the people of God have been reviled by those who are set in authority over us in the nation. And often we see much within the professing church that discourages us, that takes us down, that is unedifying. Well, friends, how do we keep going through that? How do we, in our Christian walk and calling, continue to progress in the face of that? Well, what we do is we no longer become consumed with what we have here below. But rather we fix our minds upon that which has been laid up for us. This great perfect provision. And in this perfect provision that has been laid up for us, we are reminded that in that day there shall neither the sun shall light on them nor any heat. You know where the uh, Apostle John gets this reference from? He goes back to the very book that we were considering, I have no doubt, this morning to the book of the Song of Solomon. And there you will remember that there is a picture of the apple tree. And of course that apple tree there is uh, this great picture of Christ himself. And the Christian is under the shade of the apple tree. He's, he's under the, the shade and the day of great heat and the day of persecution. And we know that from that apple tree there, there comes, as we indicated this morning, many of the fruits of blessing, justification, effectual calling, of course, which, which comes before. There comes sanctification. There comes adoption. There comes, finally, glorification itself they are the fruit of the apple tree but there is of course this great provision of the shade and of course that is the, the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed and laid to his people well here there is this covering that is covering his people that the sun itself shall not light upon them they are covered by the tabernacle of God's grace and of God's mercy. They dwell under the shadow of God. And what a dwelling place that is. We are reminded, aren't we, that so often in Scripture uh, that there is the refuge that is held out. You remember there in Psalm uh, 46, God is our refuge and our strength. That is reminding uh, us of, of the great provision of the cities of refuge. Uh, you will read about uh, those in Joshua chapter 20. The cities of refuge. And you will remember that there were three cities set up on the east and three set up on the west. 
so that if uh, a manslayer had accidentally uh, laid an axe that uh, killed his, his, his friend, he could be pursued. But if he reached the city of refuge, there was a place of safety. Because you see, the city of refuge was a priestly city. And the, the priests would come out and they would judge his case in the, the doors of the, the city. And if it was accidental, he was invited into the city. He was given shelter. He was given accommodation. He, he was allowed to do no work at all. And his freedom would take place on the day that the high priest would die in Jerusalem. Well, friends, isn't there a picture of the gospel? That there is freedom in the death of our high priest, the place of refuge, the place of shade. Well, if that is so here below, and we can have assurance of it here uh, today, what more so is it in glory itself? There is indeed a picture of it here, but it is that great accomplishment in glory when there is that eternal provision, when we are uh, hidden in the clefts of the rock for all eternity. See, here we, we are like the dove. We find no rest. For our souls, we find no rest. There are so many things that trouble us. Uh, we are troubled, aren't we, by, by the, the times that we, we come upon our knees and we have those moments of uh, fellowship with the Lord. And they are intense moments and they are precious moments. And, and we feel that, that that communion that we have with him is a, is a communion that... Uh, we shall we shall enjoy for all of our pilgrimage journey here. And then something simple comes into our experience. And that moment of sweet fellowship that we had with Christ is, is, is gone. Oh, gone for a period perhaps, gone for a short while. You see, as, as we considered from the Song of Solomon this morning, uh, there is the, the time when we... Uh, we, we cry out uh, with the bride, where is he whom my soul loveth? We see him now, don't we, through the, through the lattice. You know, the idea of the lattice is, is like the Georgian window. Uh, it lets in some light, but it ex um, there are times when some of the, the vision is obscured. Well, that is so here below uh, with our... our so often our, our lack of communion with the Lord. And that grieves us. And it saddens us. And, and our desire is to have it more and more. And perhaps we are our own worst enemies. Because the times that we desire to have Christ more and more. Are often the times that we, we perhaps backslide more and more. And we're maybe not as diligent at the means of grace as we, we once were. Or, or maybe... Uh, we have had uh, times when, uh, either through the preaching or in a more formal sense, with, with, with discipline, it has come to us and, and we haven't taken it so well. Now, that can happen as well. Ah, but friends, these moments 
we are reminded that even Christ here below has, has given us the means of the shade that keeps the heat from off our souls because he is ever the cause of his people at heart. So the redeemed shall be covered by this perfect tabernacle, this perfect covering. But they shall have all that is necessary provided for them uh, in, in heaven. Don't we, we see that? They shall hunger no more. They shall hunger no more. Someone once said that to be fed when we are hungry is providence. But never to be hungry is provision. Well, here, friends, we shall never hunger anymore. Because you see, in heaven itself, heaven is never a place of unfulfilled desires. Here we have unfulfilled desires. Of course we do, because we, we are still here. Uh, even as, as the Lord's people, we are still here with, with sin indwelling. And that always has uh, an unfulfilled desire. But in heaven itself, there is none of that. You see, the desires there are the desires which shall be satisfied. And that great desire will be to be in the presence of Christ. To be in the presence of the one that we spoke about here. To be in the presence of the one that we sing about here. To be in the presence of the one that we profess when we sit around the table of the Lord here. Be in his presence. One of the things that we shall enjoy in that presence is that there shall be no more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For those things are passed away. Never in heaven itself Shall we cry out as the Apostle Paul cried out here? O wretched man, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Because we will have been delivered. We will have been delivered. All is provided. They have no thirst. Those are the uh, unsatisfied wishes they shall have all things as the people of the Lord renewed in their heart and in their soul but surely there is this all outside influences shall be brought to nothing all outside influences shall be brought to nothing we are here below in this world and we, we look out, don't we, and we, we say our, our children and our, our young people are constantly being pressurized, and they are. They're pressurized by government. They're pressurized by the education system. 
They are pressurized by their peers. But you know, we too suffer peer pressure. We might not be young, but we suffer peer pressure. Well, in glory itself, there shall be no outside influences that will be brought. Neither shall the sun light on them. You see, in glory, there will be that full glory of the Lord to occupy our minds. Here, if we were to see that full glory of the Lord, here, in this place, in this scene of time, we would be consumed. The Lord's glory would so outshine that sinful man such as we are would be consumed. That is why a death, and we sang about that in Psalm 23, shall dwell in God's house forevermore, that in death itself we are made perfect in righteousness so that we can see the face of God in Jesus Christ. This is a perfect provision. And all of this is mediated through the one who is the mediator in heaven itself. So there is this perfect provision. But in the second place, there is the, the provider of this provision and he is portrayed for us. Verse 17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them onto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. It is the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne. Now you'll notice how verse 17 begins. It begins with this word for. And this is pointing us back that the very happiness of God's people, the very happiness of the saints themselves, is dependent upon the Lamb. And where is this Lamb? Well, we are told he is in the midst of the throne. You see, in heaven itself, there is the throne. The throne speaks about sovereignty. It speaks of authority. And it speaks of judgment. That's what a throne does. And how can we stand before the throne? Well, friends, we can only stand before the throne because of the one who is in the midst of the throne, Jesus Christ himself, the sacrifice, the Lamb of God that taken away the sin of the world. Isn't that what we are uh, told uh, of, of Christ himself? We are told that there is, over the throne, we are told that there is the rainbow like unto an emerald. The rainbow speaks of the covenant. Who is the one who is the covenant head? It is Christ himself. And we are told here he is the lamb in the midst of the throne. He is the lamb or the lion of the tribe of Judah. The one who has 
provided this sacrifice. And there the sacrifice and the covenant are always close to the throne. And friends, that's why you and I can have happiness. And we can have peace forevermore in that eternal glory. You see, there is life that comes from the incarnate Saviour. God manifest in the flesh. God in our nature so that we might have life and that we might be partakers of that divine nature. It is a strange uh, image that we have here, it might be said. We have here uh, the, the image of the Lamb who uh, is in the midst of the throne. Uh, he, he is the one who leads them and he is the one who feeds them. It might be even, uh, it could be translated the one who shepherds or the, the lamb uh, shall shepherd them. <coughs> oh, you think about the lamb shepherding. It is a shepherd who shepherds the lamb. And the shepherd will be one who will care for, for his lambs. He'll care for his sheep. But he can never be one with them. He can never be uh, uh, one with their nature. But Christ is the one here who, who is the lamb who shepherds his people. Because he's one in their nature. Friends, what a, a great privilege it is that there is one in our nature who is the tender shepherd. And there is our great security. The one who is the shepherd of our souls is partaker of flesh and blood, such as we are ourselves. The one who is in the midst of the throne is our kinsman. He is our kinsman redeemer. Remember how that comes out in the book of Ruth, that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. He was the one who had the right to, to buy back and to, to purchase. Well, here Christ is in the midst of the throne. It was Rabbi Duncan who said of Christ himself that now we have the dust of the earth upon the throne of the universe bone of our bone flesh of our flesh on the throne of the universe of God the lamb is our hope the lamb is our comfort the lamb is our honour our delight and our glory Born, born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the house of bread, the house of bread. And because there was one born in the house of bread, that's why we shall never hunger again. Never hunger again. But the Lamb also refers to sacrifice. We have that brought before us in verse 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation 
and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, he that feeds his people in heaven, this Savior, this Redeemer, he who feeds his people is the sacrifice of his people, the atonement of his people, the one who is the expiation of his people. Of course, you, you know that the word expiation, it, it means the, the removal away of guilt through the payment of a penalty. Well, Christ is the one who is our expiation. He is the one who is our propitiation. The propitiation means the, the appeasement of uh, the wrath of God. And there that price has been paid. And that price is there in heaven for us. And in heaven, there is always, as we indicated this morning... There is always that viewing of Christ as the atonement for sin. So that when, and this is, this is how I see it. I may be wrong. But when we read of the, the intercession of Christ, when we read of the prayers of Christ, uh, it is open as to whether those prayers and that intercession is an audible intercession. Uh, because to me that would take away from the work of the atonement. It is when God sees Christ as the work of atonement. As the propitiation. As the expiation. Then he knows that those for whom he died. He also prays for. So when he sees the sacrifice. He hears the prayers as it were. And so, as we see the one who is the lamb, he is the one who is the sacrifice. Our time is going, and I must uh, quickly move on and finish with this. There is the procedure of this providing in heaven. The procedure of this providing in heaven. And this falls into two parts. You'll notice here in verse 17, he feeding them and he's leading them. Christ is called uh, here, Christ shall feed his people. Christ shall feed his people. Now I indicated here that this word uh, was, was the word shepherdize them. In, in heaven, Christ shall rule over the flock. He rules over the flock. Here on earth, the Kirk Session rules over the flock. It's not the minister rules over the flock. In matters of care and in matters of discipline, it is the Kirk Session who rules in Christ's stead. They have that responsibility, and it is a grave responsibility given over them, uh, over the, the flock here below. And it might be that, uh, as I said earlier, uh, it might be that there could be a case that somebody might might lead a life that is wrong and it might not come under the eyes of the Kirk Session or they might be able to, uh, to escape the proper discipline uh, of the, the keys of the kingdom. And this is how it's referred to. But they will never escape the keys of the kingdom of Christ ultimately. 
here in heaven, Christ shepherds over these people. And he cares for them immediately and personally. The under-shepherds here are poor under-shepherds. We will admit that. Sometimes there are things that we get wrong. Sometimes there are things that we say that are wrong. Sometimes uh, we, we, we will face uh, ridicule and so on. But none can ever say that against Christ himself, who is the great shepherd and the pastor of his people. And Christ will be that pastor in heaven. Uh, we, we read in Micah chapter 5, and I believe this is what, what Micah is, is referring to. And it says, and he shall stand, that is, persevere, or he shall withstand, and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. Where is our standing? It is in Christ himself, the one who continues to provide for us. So he is the one who feeds us. He is the one who is the manna. Remember there in the Old Testament, that manna had to be provided on a daily basis, a daily supply, because the people were hungry again the next day. Well, there is one who is the bread of life that has been broken. And friends, when we feed upon him, we shall never hunger again. We shall never thirst again. And if we are restless or if we are uh, hungry after the things of the world or we are thirsty after the things of the world, then we soon, if we are the Lord's, realize that here there is no water that satisfies the soul. There is none that satisfies the soul. We will, if we are the Lord's, we will not be like Orpah. We will not go back to Moab. But rather we will be like Ruth. We will go on to Bethlehem, Judah, to the house of bread, and we will feed upon that provision that the Lord has given us. But then, secondly and finally, there is in this procedure of the providing, not only that Christ shall feed them, but also that Christ shall lead them. This is another work of the shepherd. He shall lead his people. He, he guides his people. In other words, even in glory itself, even in heaven itself, he points out to where they might be fed. The, the fountains of waters, leading them onto the fountains of waters, onto the place of refreshment. We need that refreshment. Here below we are, we are told that uh, the spiritual application of the account of the, um, the fruits and the harvest in the Old Testament was the need for the former rain and the latter rain, and we were discussing that uh, earlier on. How necessary the former rain was. It was, it was that rain that was used to, to give increase of the harvest. 
But then it was necessary for the latter rain to come at the end of the season. Because when that latter rain came upon the corn, it removed from the corn all the dust and all the debris that had accumulated on it over the past season. It, in other words, it made the corn fit for purpose. It was refreshing. It was revitalizing. In other words, we might use the term, it was reviving. Well, friends, that is what we need here below. We need that, that latter rain to come. But here in heaven itself, Christ continues to lead us into that place of refreshment so that there is an everlasting refreshing of the soul, an everlasting delight. We are told of what heaven's like to some degree. We are told that there are new heavens and a new earth. And there are many interpretations of that as well, like so many things. But let me say this. I do not believe for a moment that whatever the new heavens and the new earth mean, that the children of God will come back to some form of earth here below that has been revitalized. In other words, extradited out of heaven, out of the place where the abode of Christ is. They will never be separated from Christ. What does the new heavens and the new earth mean? What does the new earth mean? I'll give you the interpretation of John Kennedy, the, uh, the famous free church minister in Dingwall. And Kennedy said that the, the earth, it's, it's a place where, where man lives. That's where the earth is. So the new earth is the new place where man lives. In other words, heaven itself. It's another way of reinforcing the idea of heaven, the new earth. And it will be a new place because man will be there in perfect harmony and in communion with his beloved Saviour. And friends, the despair that we face here below is because so often we look here below. Let us look now towards heaven and set our eyes towards that city with foundations whose builder and whose maker is God. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. Our gracious and our eternal Lord, as we come before thee now, we thank thee for thy truth. We thank thee that we can say that thy word is truth. We ask thee, Lord, to follow with thy blessing all that was so feebly said and done. And if anything has been said amiss, may it be placed into the back of the forgetfulness of thy people but more importantly, into the back of thy forgetfulness. Go before us now, receive of us, and all we ask is in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.
Now we shall close by singing to God's praise from Psalm number 72. The end of Psalm 72, at verse 17. His name forever shall endure. Last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him, and blessed all nations shall him call. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel, for he alone that wondrous works in glory that excel. And blessed be his glorious name to all eternity. The whole earth let his glory fill. Amen. So let it be. Psalm 72 at verse 17. His name forever shall endure. His name forever. The uh, prayer meeting on Thursday at the usual time of 7.30pm. It is expected that Mr. Ian Martin will take the meeting. The preacher expected next Sabbath is the Reverend John Kiddy. The building fund collection is due today. And prior notice of uh, communion services, the Reverend Thomas Buchanan is booked to come <coughs> for the 25th of September and has agreed to do services over that weekend. Further details will be given nearer the time. And of course, all intimations are subject to the will of the Lord. Let us close with the Lord's benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Amen.